Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church here in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm so happy to uh, be with you again on another episode of the podcast. I am so thankful for these spaces to think out loud, these spaces to uh, really reflect on a lot of things that uh, I've been uh, that I've been thinking on, that I've been trying to make sense of, and sometimes the best way to do that is just to kind of think out loud, so uh, I'm really thankful that I have this space to do that. Uh, I don't take it for granted, uh, to be sure, you can rest assured that I don't take it for granted, and I, I, I don't want to uh, ever do that, uh, but I'm just really grateful for it, and I'm grateful to be able to uh, minister to you in this way. If you have a question, though, or something you would like me to cover, if there's something that you would like some uh, insight on, as much insight as I can give, I will hope to. But um, if you ever have a question, please uh, send me an email, uh, contact me. Uh, those in the church, you likely know how to contact me if you're listening. <laughs> and um, But yeah, get in touch with me. You can use the contact page on my blog, or if you have my cell phone or my email, just get in touch with me and ask me a question. I'll be sure to include it in an upcoming episode. That way we can just keep addressing things that are on our minds. Uh, really, what I've been doing here is just addressing what's on my mind. So, <laughs> And uh, hopefully that is, it is resonating with you in, in some small degree. But uh, So this past week, what did I preach on? Uh, I was thankful to be in the pulpit twice this past week, uh, and I, I was really excited to be able to preach in the Sunday morning service out of Genesis 32, uh, which is a passage that I had never, to be quite honest with you, really studied in depth before. Uh, Genesis 32 tells the story of Jacob coming back home after his 20 years uh, away. Uh, obviously, he's been running away uh, because he stole his brother's birth birthright. So back in chapter 27, we have that very familiar scene where Jacob puts on his brother's garb and deceives his father and goes in and steals the birthright right from out the, under the very nose of his father while his brother is out hunting. And 
that leads to Esau's uh, declaration that he wants to slay his brother. And that's the last word that Jacob hears regarding his brother is the fact that he wants him dead. So that really colors, that really tints uh, his 20 years that he spends away from home, away from Canaan. Um, I found it really interesting to study this passage because... Um, in Genesis 32, you have a really interesting scene going on. As we've already noted, uh, Jacob is coming back home, um, and it's going to be awkward. Jacob feels the awkwardness, perhaps, in the air, you might say. And so he concocts all these different schemes. And really, that's what I have I found when I was studying this, is that Genesis 32 is full of schemes, it's full of plans that this man, Jacob, who has always been scheming his whole life, is now still scheming, still planning, still uh, still doing what he knows how to do. <laughs> and uh, he hasn't really learned much from those 20 years that he's been away. And what, what's interesting is that some commentators and theologians uh, approach this passage as if Jacob is demonstrating faith. Um, they look at, especially at his prayer that appears in verses 9 through 12, and they uh, see Jacob as a patriarch who is demonstrating faith in many different ways and that he's acting responsibly. Um, to be quite honest with you, I'm not really sure how anyone could come to those conclusions. Perhaps I'm not reading the passage correct, <laughs> and I will grant that maybe I'm not. I don't know. But the way I read this passage, um, especially in light of what happens at the end in verses 24 through 32, but especially the first 23 verses of chapter 32 of Genesis, scream to me a man who is trying to retain control over his life at any by any means possible. Um, he is going to continue planning, continue scheming, continue conniving ways in which he can save his own skin. Um, this, I think, is the predominant way in which we have to read this passage because we have to remember who this person is. Um, this is Jacob. He's uh, the supplanter. That's what his name means. And we know from early on that he's been a deceiver from his young life all the way till now. And he's basically soured every single relationship that he's ever had in, in his life. And now here, as he's coming back home, I don't understand sometimes how... Uh, commentators read this in a way in which he's demonstrating sola fide, <laughs> in which he's he's rightly evidencing the faith. Um, because I would say he's not. <laughs> he's 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 still trying to retain control, and that's I think what it makes the ending scene so profound. Uh, so of course the ending scene is where we get that remarkable instance where Jacob wrestles with a man all night long. <laughs> it says in Genesis 32 verse 24, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Uh, so he sent along his, all his sort of possessions and his belongings, he's sent them out in droves uh, to to be present for Esau to appease him, literally meaning he's trying to atone for all of the things that he's done to Esau. He's trying to pay him off by giving him all of these presents. And then he sends over his, his wives and his children and his servants 
He sends them all over the river, and then he's left alone there. And in the midnight of the soul, to use that poetic sort of phrase, he is met by a midnight wrestler. And this wrestler, we come to find out, is none other than God. I, I, I said that in my sermon, that this is a Christophany, or you might say a theophany. It's a an appearance of Jesus prior to the incarnation in Luke chapter 2, and prior to the nativity. Um, and there are several several instances of this throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the one that jumps to my mind right off the bat is the angel of the Lord who appears to Joshua, which I believe is in Joshua chapter 5. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, another really good instance of that is in uh, Daniel chapter uh, 3. Uh, the fourth figure in the furnace is a really good instance of a Christophany of an appearance of the angel of the Lord who is Jesus Christ, and he's appearing in the flesh prior to uh, his incarnation. And this is what's happening here. Jacob is wrestling with God. God is, uh, uh, that word wrestled there is really fascinating. As I mentioned in my sermon, it literally means to get dusty. And that's what God is doing with Jacob. And so uh, we have to answer this question, why Why is he doing that? What is making, what is making Jacob uh, wrestle with God, or a better way to, to say that, what is making God wrestle with Jacob? What what could possibly he be trying to accomplish through this? Well, I think clearly, if you take in light the rest of the chapter, uh, especially as we've sort of um, deciphered it, as if Jacob is still trying to hold life by his own hands, Clearly, what's happening is Jacob is having his life wrestled out of his hands. <laughs> and I don't mean to uh, make that sound trite or corny or, or, or really pithy, but I think that's precisely what's happening here in this passage, is that God is wrestling control out of Jacob's hands. And he's forcing him to see, by forcing him flat on his back, that all of his plotting and conniving and scheming and planning, all of that stuff, has has not worked out. <laughs> All of his plans have come up short. All of his plans has, have ended up in now to where he's at this point of life and he's alone. He's by himself. He has uh, a brother who he thinks is only out for vengeance, which is a really interesting point, by the way. So Jacob wrestles with God wrestles with, I think over this control over his own life but what's most fascinating is that in Genesis 31, 3, uh, he is told by God to return home. So Genesis 31, 3 says this, And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and notice this promise, I will be with thee. A really fascinating phrase because, in fact, in Genesis 32, remember that prayer that we mentioned? In Genesis 32, Jacob says those same words, but notice what he changes. And Jacob said uh, to God, and he's praying now, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. So here Jacob is hearing what he wants to hear, and he hears the fact that God is going to be with him, and he hears as if God is going to make everything that he does prosper. He's going to prosper everything that his hand touches, and he's not going to deal with any difficulty. Of course, that's not what God said. That's not what God promised. He promised 
presence, not his prosperity. He promised, uh, God promised his abiding presence that was going to be with Jacob as he returned home. And such is what makes the beginning of the chapter so fascinating because angels meet Jacob on his way home. I say all that to say this, that Jacob was given this sign, I, I truly believe, the sign of these angels, this host of angels that meets him uh, on his way home, a sign of what God had already promised, that he was going to be with him, and that God's will, God's plans are the ones that prevail. Because we get to this amazing scene in Genesis 33, and I actually, uh, I was kind of kicking myself because I wasn't able to get to this, fr- this passage, uh, when I was preaching on Sunday, but, uh, you, you have to follow this. This is amazing to me. So Genesis 33, uh, Esau is on his way home. And so he's coming, he, he's finally, I think, uh, gone through that midnight of the soul. He's wrestled with God and he's coming home. And, uh, and so this is Genesis 33 verse three. And he, Jacob passed over before them. So now instead of being in the very back of all of his host of family and, and people, his entourage, so to speak, now he's in front of them all. And it says, and he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. And listen to this verse. This verse just astounded me when I read it. So this is Genesis 33, 4. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. I <laughs> I was just so moved by that verse. I don't know why perhaps I hadn't ever noticed that before, but if you, if you didn't, if your ears didn't perk up, um, at that verse, let me make them perk up because, um, I immediately made me think when, when, when is there another time in the scriptures where a man sees a long lost family member from a far away from far away and runs out to meet them and kisses them on the neck. Well, listen to this. This comes from Luke chapter 15, verse 20. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Of course, that's the prodigal son's father. The prodigal son's father sees his prodigal son from afar away, from a long way off, and he runs out to meet him. And instead of meeting him with retribution, he meets him with mercy. Instead of meeting all of the ways in which the prodigal has rebelled with more justice and judgment and all of those sorts of things, the prodigal's father meets him with boundless grace and mercy. And such is what Esau did. (laughs) Such as what Esau clearly demonstrates. Isn't it fascinating to me that Esau, the older brother who was swindled and who has elsewhere been always sort of denigrated throughout the rest of scripture, is here a model of the prodigal father's mercy. (laughs) He shows such forgiveness and grace to his brother. He runs out to meet him. He falls on his neck and kisses him and they weep together. I think they are weeping tears of knowing all of those long years that they have lost. Years that have been spent needlessly running from each other when they could have been brothers to one another. 
And throughout the rest of chapter 33, Esau is continually turning down presents that Jacob wants to give him. And I say all that to say that this is precisely what God was leading Jacob to. I think that this was, this was the moment all along that God had had planned. He wasn't uh, perhaps uh, trying to lead Jacob into a trap as Jacob is going back home, Jacob goes with a promise, I will be with you, as if to say, you can trust in my plans, for my plans for you are good. And here we have that whole promise being evidenced very clearly before us. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see, the plans of God always prevail. This is exactly what is meant by God renaming uh, Jacob. Not, you will no longer be called Jacob, you will be called Israel. That's, I think, the lesson of this whole chapter, is for Jacob to be put flat on his back to see that his plans don't prevail, God's plans prevail. And in fact, uh, let me read you this passage. It comes from Arthur W. Pink's Gleanings in Genesis, and he's commenting on this precise scene. He says, One of the principal designs of our gracious Heavenly Father in the ordering of our path, in the appointing of our testings and trials, in the discipline of His love, is to bring us to the end of ourselves, to show us our own powerlessness, to teach us to have no confidence in the flesh, that his strength may be perfected in our conscience and realized weakness. This, to be sure, I, I, I would clearly say is precisely what is going on in this scene. The scene in which Jacob is being put flat on his back by a mysterious wrestler at, at midnight. <laughs> It's God wrestling uh, Jacob's perceived strength right out of him. He's not the strong man who makes his life prevail. He is the weak man. <laughs> He's the weak one who has all of his supposed self-sufficiency wrestled from right out of his hands, from right out of his fingers, because his schemes always end up in failure. His schemes always end up in making more of a mess of things than before. This is why, this is why, I, I, after studying this, uh, Genesis 32 is one of my favorite passages. <laughs> it's just a fascinating scene in which we see the lengths to which God will go to save his people. And this, I think, is the other predominant lesson out of this text is just the fact that <laughs> God allows himself to be defeated. So in the chapter, Jacob is wrestling, and in fact, it says that Jacob is prevailing. It says in verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, that's talking about the wrestler. The wrestler sees, and he sees that he's not prevailing in this match with Jacob. He touched the hollow of his thigh, it says in verse 25, continuing, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So this mysterious wrestler sees that he's not prevailing, and so he touches Jacob's thigh and throws it out of socket. <laughs> and that's when, later on, we get to that scene, and Jacob is declared the winner of this match. Verse 28, or excuse me, yeah, verse 28, Thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Hmm. 
So with the dislocated hip, Jacob prevails against a mysterious ambushing wrestler in the middle of the night. This, my friends, I think is a clear statement of what God will do in order to deliver his people. He allows himself to be defeated. Which reminds me, at least, of another, of another scene in which God allows himself to be defeated. I'm talking about Golgotha. There, Jesus allows himself to be defeated by the weight of sin and man's fury. Yet in that defeat, who could have thought that such victory could be brought out of it? And just like here, who could have thought that out of such defeat, such blessing could be brought out of it? Because there, Jacob is blessed. And as it says in verse 31, and he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him. The blessing was now on Jacob. He had learned through the midnight of the soul, so to speak, who his God was. And here I think we clearly learn the lengths to which God will go in order to deliver his people. Genesis 32 is an incredibly uh, cruciform chapter. It's filled with gospel. It's filled with Christ. Christ wrestles control out of our hands. And I'm thankful for that. He doesn't give up on us when we try to arrest control of our lives and seize the day, so to speak. <laughs> Maybe we need God to wrestle us. Maybe I hope that he doesn't have to put us in an arm bar in order for us to hear that lesson, but he will if he needs to. God's wrestling match with Jacob is a powerfully gospel-centered passage that I pray that you will take time to study yourself. I, I hope that you can listen to that sermon. I hope that it blesses you as well. Uh, I just want to mention, too, if you haven't already, make sure you pick up Chad Bird's Night Driving Notes from a Prodigal Soul. Uh, this is Chad Bird's first published book uh, that he published um with Erdman's, uh, and it's basically a, I would say, a semi-biographical sort of memoir type of a book in which he also is weaving through some really incredibly uh, theological and gospel-centered themes. And in chapter 9, uh, which is entitled Stewards of Our Scars, he basically goes through that entire scene and uses it as sort of the premise for talking about some of his own life and how God has wrestled him. And so I highly recommend recommend this book, uh, Chad Bird's Night Driving. Uh, you'll find a link for it in the notes to this show. Definitely pick that up because I think you'll be really moved by it. Uh, in the Sunday evening service, I was thrilled to be continuing my series going through the letters of the Apostle Peter. And so we are continuing in that. I was in chapter 4, uh, and I wanted to preach on those couple verses, verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4, in which Peter sort of addresses how the church ought to handle itself during the end of all things. So uh, let me just flip over there, and I'll read those verses for you to kind of get you in in sort of that right thinking mode. Uh, so First Peter 4, verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And he goes on to talk about how they ought to be stewards of God's manifold grace, uh, even, yes, in these days which are described as the end of all things. You know, as I said in that sermon, 
it's really interesting to me that Peter said those words almost 2,000 years ago. And we might, in some respects, be tempted to think, uh, was he wrong? <laughs> was he wrong about that? Of course, no. We know that Jesus has declared that we aren't to know the times or the seasons, uh, and that, which means in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, we can go there and, and read those. If he started those out, it is meant to keep us on mission, to keep us focused. And I think that's precisely what Peter is doing here. He's keeping his church focused and on mission during the end of all things. Because I think how we respond to the end of all things is indicative of where our faith is truly resting. And I think that's what Peter is here meaning. So the, those words, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Sober and watch is really uh, words that mean very similar things. And basically how he's is wording it there, we could, we could reword it in a more modern sense and say, be calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> so let's read this verse that way. Uh, the end of all things is at hand. It's close. It's just around the corner. So be calm, cool, and collected, even unto prayer. <laughs> I think there, if there's anything that doesn't describe uh, most of evangelicalism at large, it's being calm, cool, and collected regarding the end of all things. <laughs> I don't have to details the uh, all the ways in which I'm meaning that. <laughs> you perhaps know exactly what I mean. But we live in a day and age in which the end times uh, sort of signs, the signs of the times, so to speak, are ever before us. They seem to be always present, always around us. And we are always thinking of things in which we are uh, sort of trying to pinpoint where we are in the timeline of the end of all things. Peter would say that that is actually not an evidence of our faith. That's an ed evidence of our unfaith. Peter says that during the end of all things, we are to be calm and cool and collected, steward stewarding grace to those who need it, to those who are weary, those who are lost. How can we steward grace if we're frenetically and frantically trying to presume the, where we are on the timeline of the end of all things and how all these things are going to lead to the apocalypse or some such thing? My friends, I, I think for many, many people, the the theories, the wild conspiracies regarding uh, end times events do a disservice to our faith because we aren't given over to those things. We are given over to a sober and watchful faith, a faith in which we can be calm, cool, and collected. And why? I'm not just saying that because we need to be. I'm saying that because we can be. And you know why? Because Jesus is king. I've been talking about this with several people, and I, I don't mean to uh, to make this sound pithy or trite or just something that is said to, to kind of get out of, you know, a more difficult conversation. But I truly believe this, that more than ever before, the fact of Jesus's enthronement in the heavens is more meaningful to me than ever before. 
Because it, without it, you would be given over to anxiety and distress and worry and fear if you don't have the solidified, concretized fact that Jesus is king over everything and that not, not by one minuscule degree has that changed in the last 13 months. You would be given over to stress. You would be given over to fear and worry and, 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 and frenetically, uh, just stressing over all of these end times events. But guess what? We are free to be calm and cool and collected, as he goes on to say, to be fervently charitable, to be hospitable, to speak with passion the manifold grace of God. Why? Because he is the one who rules and reigns over all things. Listen to what he says. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity covers the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man speak, or excuse me, minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. That in all things may be glorified, that in, excuse me, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. This domain is not ruled by Washington. The domain that we live in is not ultimately ruled and controlled by the pundits who presume that they have all the power in their Washington offices. This domain is ruled by a far better potentate. <laughs> a far better ruler, a far better king, a far stronger uh, sovereign. And his name is Jesus. I think... More than ever before, I've been affected a great deal by the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Christ. The lordship of Christ isn't something that we ought to fear. Uh, many have debated throughout years of Christianity what the lordship of Christ means. My friends, it means that there's nothing that isn't in that isn't in his sovereign control. He is ruling and reigning over all things. There's nothing more uh, calm-inducing than that. <laughs> he is a God who wants to see us, see us through to the end. And he will. He promises in Matthew 28 that he's going to be with us always, even to the end of the age, until the, when the world is going to end, we have a God who is with us. My friends, that's what makes us calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> that type of God is the God that we have. I pray that you are inspired by that sermon. I was really thrilled as I was reflecting on it just to see how powerful it is. How incredibly uh, incisive these words are and timely. And so I'm thankful to be able to uh, chew and meditate on that uh, thought. And I hope that you will as well. Before we get to the rest of the show, I just want to take a short uh, moment and share a word with you about this show's presenting sponsor. Do you like coffee? I know that you do. And that's why I want to tell you about fresh roasted coffee. 
Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Now on to the rest of this show. Um, just a quick couple of things. Uh, I, I, I kept you a little bit longer in that first segment. <laughs> uh, I didn't in, intend to do that, but I just got really passionate about those sermons and, uh, I'm even more passionate now. I want to preach them again. <laughs> uh, so we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll see if I can do that. But, uh, I didn't mean to preach them again here on the podcast, but, uh, you know, as the spirit moves, I suppose. Uh, what am I reading? So as I told you a couple weeks ago, I've been really trying to discipline myself in terms of reading things that I already have been reading and trying to finish all the unfinished books that are lying on my shelf. <laughs> I think I've done that to a good degree. Um, and I just recently finished Paul Tripp's Suffering Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense. I could not recommend this book to you highly uh, or more highly. Um, this book is wonderful. Paul Tripp uh, just speaks to what it means to suffer in such a real and profound and insightful way. I'm very thankful for Paul Tripp's ministry, and he is uh, one who has so much knowledge to share, and this is just one of those books that I think you have to get. So uh, make sure to pick up this book. I think you'll be glad to uh, read through it as he covers um, the full, I would say, spectrum of suffering and what it means to suffer. So definitely pick that book up. Another one that I'm trying to finish right now is David Murray's Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture, which basically goes through the ways in which pastors and ministers, but just people in ministries uh, itself, go through seasons in which they are just burning themselves out uh, because of how busy they are. And he talks about how we can reset that sort of mode of our life and and allow us to be actually more productive by resting and recouping uh, some of that energy. And so this is a really practical book. It's It, it presents a lot of of perhaps um, uh, academic sort of uh, um, ideas. Uh, there's lots of data and statistics that are through, peppered throughout this book so far, uh, but I've really found it to be helpful and insightful. So uh, that's the other one I'm going to try and finish uh, recently. What's been helpful to me? Well, I got shared this article. Shout out to Dan Reno, uh, pastor near me, who shared this article with me called Hang in There, Pastors. You are needed now more 
more than ever, <laughs> which is a great title. Uh, it comes from a minister named Bob Russell, who I am not familiar with at all, but he wrote this article um, basically as a rallying cry for pastors to persist and persevere in their ministry of of demonstrating the faith and declaring the gospel to those who are around them. You know, I'm not trying to be uh, have a uh, have a pity party or, or or try to be like you know woe is me, <laughs> uh, but I think it's no secret that this season of life that we've been in for like the last year, uh, going on uh, thirteen fourteen months now, has been extremely taxing on ministers. Um, no matter what denomination you're in or what the size of your congregation is, um, this season of life has been really, really difficult for ministers. And I say that not just because I am one, but I say that because I read the stories. I see uh, the, 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 the stats which reveal how many pastors are not just resigning and hanging up their ministries. I've seen how many have taken their own lives um, throughout this season of life. It's a season in which everything is just made more difficult. Everything is made so much more strenuous. And for a lot of pastors, there's just too much strain on them. Here, Bob Russell it gives some really, I think, needed words. If you're a minister and you are struggling through this season of life... <laughs> Read this article. You'll be encouraged. He says this. This is how he kind of wraps up his article. He says, hang in there, pastors. You are needed now more than ever. Your flock, your country needs you to be faithful and hopeful. This is your opportunity to lead with courage and fulfill your assignment to exalt Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. Hmm. I like those words. Because I am hanging on. But you know what's, it, what's, what's good to know is that there's a stronger one who's hanging on to me. And I can be faithful and hopeful because there's one who's hanging on to me whose hands hold the universe in the balance. Um, read that article. You'll be encouraged. Even if you're not a pastor, I think you'll be encouraged by that article. So make sure to check that out. What should you remember this week? Well, I've been studying, of course, uh, First Peter, and I've been using Martin Luther's commentary on First Peter, uh, and I came across this for this line in in Martin Luther's commentary, which I th just think is really remarkable. It's not just one of those. It's not necessarily perhaps an, an astounding quote that you would see on Pinterest, <laughs> but I think it's definitely a quote that we ought to reflect on. And he's commenting on First uh, Peter 4, verse 8, where especially that phrase where it talks about how love will cover a multitude of sins. And here, Luther contends that the love which the Apostle Peter is here referring to is much deeper than just being courteous or being nice to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our neighbors. Listen to how Luther says it. Quote, Now Peter will teach by this that we should conduct ourselves toward one another like those who are truly friends by blood, as with them the whole heart is moved, the life, the pulse, and all the power. So here also we should be heartily kind and motherly, and the heart should be thoroughly penetrated. I love what he says there. <laughs> we shouldn't just love them as just as if they are friends, but as truly friends by blood. 
as if they've been covered by the same blood. And indeed, they are. Since Jesus' blood has been spilled for the remission of sins, the blood is on them. Blood which allows us, frees us, which liberates us, and I would say allows us to be responsible, to love those who are neighbors as though they are truly friends. This goes much deeper than just being nice. (laughs) This, to me, was just a really powerful way of phrasing this uh, command, this uh, general imperative to love your neighbor. Love them as truly friends by blood. That's the thought I want to leave you with. Uh, Go check that out. I've I've linked to that. You can find that quote on page 144 if you want to read it um, out of Martin Luther's commentary that I've linked to. Um, There's a lot more I could say, but I feel like I've gone long on this one. (laughs) But there was just so much I had to say, so much I had to share. But I'm really thankful to everyone for listening. Uh, I'm really thankful for many of your kind words of encouragement and your notes of 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 the blessing that you've derived out of this podcast i'm really thankful that i can that i can minister to you in this format in this way uh god is is truly a, a bless is, is truly a good god and I'm, I'm so thankful that i'm i'm able to minister you to you in this format so thank you so much for listening and commenting and subscribing um i'll see you on the next episode blessings 